Welcome to the Real Estate Espresso Podcast, your morning shot of what's new in the world of real estate investing. I'm your host, Victor Manash. This is the weekend edition where we interview notable people from the world of real estate investing. Today is no exception. We've got a great guest all the way from Fort Lauderdale, Florida. Welcome to the show, Josh Ziegelbaum. Victor, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for having me on the show. Great to have you here. Now, Josh, you come from the world of private equity and formerly also from the New York area. Love to get a little bit of your backstory about how you got to this point in your journey. Sure. Happy to give you that, Victor. So um, I started my career at a college, uh, studied Rucker, studied at Rutgers University up in New Brunswick, New Jersey. That's where I'm from. Um, out of school, I, I got a head start in insurance. That's what I did right out of school. Quickly realized I wanted to work in, in finance, but in a different segment of it. So I began a career at Wells Fargo Bank, climbed my way up about six years, ended up as a private banker in Miami Beach, took a lateral position a bit later on in my tenure at the bank there. And from that, um, was down here in Florida, enjoying the time, uh, starting in 2018. Year after being down here, um, I met the two partners I work with today, Cole Shepard and Adam Jason at Legacy Group. Started working with them at another venture as VP of business development. Now I head up investor relations as its director at Legacy Group. We open up alternative investment opportunities for accredited investors here in the US to participate in unique offerings in Latin America, more specifically in Colombia. Fascinating. Colombia has certainly changed an awful lot since the days when it was dominated by the drug cartels and so on. And today it really has emerged as a number one, a much safer place to to visit, to live, to even invest. What's your focus in Colombia? Sure. Yeah, we, we focus on agriculture primarily, right? So we're buying up farmland in an area called Salgar. It's uh, two to three hours outside of Medellin. So we focus on real assets uh, that we can grow at scale. So we control just about 5,000 acres of coffee farmland in that region, and we're building out consolidated infrastructure. And then we sell farm direct coffee further down the value chain. That's our main focus. We also have an investment in a tech company in Medellin, but the the main offering, our flagship that we've opened up for investors would be uh, Green Coffee Company, which is the second largest coffee producer in Colombia today on track to be the largest this year. Fabulous. Now, the world of coffee has changed quite a bit over the last couple of years. A lot of new production coming out of Brazil in particular. Devaluation of Brazil's currency has flooded the market with tons of cheap coffee. Is this specialty coffee or is it commodity coffee that would compete directly with Brazil? Yeah, it's actually a specialty coffee product. So we're able to sell it at a premium to what you see in spot commodity pricing. But yeah, we we sell wholesale B2B unroasted but fully processed specialty coffee. Uh, That's our model. And we're looking to go more vertical in the coming years in the US and build out our own roasting channel, make more margin per pound. But uh, we definitely sell a specialty coffee product. So I guess the obvious question is, you're based here in the US. Why even go to Latin America? Have you exhausted the US of opportunities? Or, you know, what would be the thinking behind that? Sure. We've just really identified incredible earlier stage investment opportunities that we could either start from the ground up, such as Green Coffee Company, or identify uh, early founders and invest in them. So we think Colombia is really an untapped market, and we're seeing somewhat of a birth of a venture capital hub in Latin America. Uh, tons of capital is flowing there from SoftBank and others, and kind of Asia, in terms of an emerging market, is, is becoming increasingly isolated, at least even now more so. It's being exacerbated from what we're seeing in, in that part of the world. 
And uh, really, it's just an economy that's growing incredibly. The human talent is strong and people aren't doing what we're doing. They're not going down and, and spending time on the ground and speaking the language, identifying acquisitions. It's not something you could do um, from a laptop here in, in the US. We have our team based down there. They meet landholding families in person, negotiate deals. It's really um, a fragmented industry that we're disrupting. And we're finding heavy opportunities for arbitrage based on the geographic location, the dynamics of the business. We wanted to bring a unique product to US-based investors who are looking to diversify from traditional asset classes. Most of our investors are heavily invested in US-based assets, in real estate, in the stock market. And they're looking for something that can complement their portfolio and not be correlated. So that's kind of the reason why we're there. And we, we fell in love with the country. have been down there for, many, for several years now, and um, we're just getting started. Of course, with anything that's agricultural related, you've always got risk. You've got risk of weather, disease, maturity of the product, and so on, as well as market risk. Prices swing up and down depending on what's happening globally in the market. How do you mitigate those risks? So as a producer at Origin, we have relatively fixed costs. Some of the input costs change in terms of fertilizer and things, but as a producer at Origin, our costs are, are relatively low. So we've seen a surge in, in coffee commodity prices uh, lately in the last year uh, to north of $2 a pound. As mentioned, we sell at a premium above um, commodity pricing, but we're able to navigate the risk and weather by monitoring soil conditions, weather patterns. We have technologies that can monitor all those things. And we act proactively in terms of adding nutrients or adding or reducing water counts. You know, there's certain risks with weather that can't be overcome. Production was lower uh, last year in Colombia as a whole for, for coffee, not just, not just us. It was lower about by 15% due to adverse weather conditions. However, the, the price increased significantly more than that in, in that same period due to what's going on in Brazil in terms of even stranger weather patterns, um, kind of like you mentioned. So certain things, you kind of just have to navigate through it and adapt and other things we can be proactive. So um, we kind of take a two-pronged approach in what we do. And we have an agronomist who was previously a chief agronomist for Starbucks in Colombia, Marino Restrepo, who heads up as our agronomy director. So he um, makes sure that everything in terms of weather and planning conditions is precise and where we need it to be. Fascinating. And certainly 5,000 acres is fairly significant acreage for sure. For the listeners who aren't familiar with the coffee market, maybe you can describe the difference between commodity coffee and specialty coffee and how you would even know as an end consumer that you're getting one versus the other. Sure. So it really comes down to a flavor profile and a grading by the Specialty Coffee Association. So we get the coffee cupped by an expert and that expert gives the coffee a particular rating on a scale. So if it meets a certain criteria on that scale, it's it's a specialty coffee. And then that can be sold at a premium above commodity. Commodity would be kind of like your basic for your listeners, maybe like a Folgers or a Maxwell House. And then I, I would look at like a, a specialty coffee would be something more premium that you would get in, in a coffee shop or, or something of that nature. But we've all tried them both. That That's kind of like the main differential is, is the grading and the quality. And it's determined by... Um, an independent third party. 
Fabulous. So from an investment standpoint, you mentioned that these are set up as U.S. investments available essentially as if it was a domestic investment, even though that entity is investing in a foreign country. How does that all work? Yeah, that's a great question, Victor. So we've made the process as easy as possible for our investors who are primarily U.S. based. Uh, We have a holding company, Green Coffee Company Holdings here in the United States. And all of the operating subsidiaries and companies in the U.S., all those, sorry, the companies in Colombia, all those flow up to the parent company in the U.S. So we issue common equity interests in a U.S.-based holding company. And then that company owns all of the assets down in Colombia. Everything flows up. So we issue shares here. It's a domestic U.S.-based investment, but investors get direct access to an emerging market in an alternative asset class. It's a really unique structure that we put together here. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I've seen other structures, for example, there's another company that I'm familiar with uh, out of Central America that has basically carved up land into half acre parcels. And instead, the investors just buy a half acre parcel, and the operation then sits on top of that. Uh, So there's many, many different structures that are possible, but this is strictly a, a share offering, correct? That is correct. Yeah. Investors, you know, really the value is in the production, the processing and the distribution. You know, we're familiar with other with other products that you own a parcel, but it's very different from owning the entire slice of the entire enterprise. So we're very proud of the way we put it together. Let's talk a little bit about the tax consequence. It's a U.S. entity. You're investing in Colombia. Are these investments eligible for retirement funds? Absolutely. So we have many investors who invest through self-directed IRAs. It's been very popular lately, actually. Uh, We just finished uh, earlier this year, our Series B funding round. I'd say we had probably about a dozen investors who participated through a self-directed IRA. So we absolutely can accept them, uh, whether you work with a custodian or if you have a checkbook IRA where you're able to have more control. We recommend that investors invest through an IRA if they have the ability to. Not everyone has the liquidity in in a retirement account, but uh, we have the offering set up 506C, open to accredited investors only. We accept from an LLC, an entity, self-directed IRA, joint investments. You know, we have it all. And we have investors from all over the world, not just the U.S. I'd say the majority are in the U.S., but we have investors in Canada, even in Colombia, where we operate, parts of Europe and Asia, all over the world. And, you know, we're very diligent. Um, in our onboarding processes. Well, Josh, if folks want to connect, if they want to learn more, what's the best way? Yeah, definitely get together with us on our website. That would be legacy-group.co. And you can also reach out to us through email at investor.relations at legacy-group.co. And you can also find us on social media and all the major channels. Wonderful. Well, I love hearing about alternate investment types, and this is definitely one of them, a big believer in diversification. So for listeners at home, definitely connect with Josh at legacy-group.co. That's legacygroup.co with a dash in between, and the link will be in the show notes. In the meantime, have an awesome rest of your weekend. Go make some great things happen. We'll talk to you again tomorrow.